Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So here we are then, stuck in an ever-decreasing vortex of doom, staring death in the face, wondering if we will be able to get through the next few weeks without contracting the most deadly virus known to man in the entire history of the world. And what is it that we are most concerned about? That's right, our summer bleeding holidays. Only in Britain could a newspaper like the Daily Mail make missing out on a foreign holiday sound like the worst news of all time, worse than the plague, worse than an invasion of locusts, or indeed an increased death rate from coronavirus. Don't get me wrong, I like a couple of weeks in the sunshine like everybody else. However, lying on a sunbed, sipping pina coladas and taking in the local beauty spots sounds very appealing right now. But after what happened over the weekend, I think I'm more than happy to settle for a few days of soggy sandwiches and warm beer in the West Country, because that's what's going to be going. On. Let's face it, as Downing Street is now saying, all foreign travel is now a risk. So if you're going anywhere, you might need to be prepared for a few shocks. Yesterday, we heard from an awful lot of people in Spain who were generally cheesed off with the government's actions, more so when they refused to change the quarantine rules for the Balearics and the Canary Islands. Today, we want to hear from more of you about what your plans are, what you're being told, and where you're planning to go. And if you have to cancel your holiday, are you getting your money back? 0344-499-1000. Airlines are already cutting their flights to Spain. Already uh, people are having to worry about getting back from Spain and wondering whether the quarantine is 14 days, is it 10 days, can they get a test? 0344 499 1000. Coming up we'll be asking why Boris Johnson wants us all to get on our bikes to get fit and whether it's really true that men are spending more time on childcare and housework during lockdown. And we'll be asking the $64,000 question. Could Jeremy Corbyn be kicked out of the Labour Party? 0344 499 1000. We're also joined later on by nightclub owner and music promoter Donald McLeod on the latest from the hospitality front plus celebrity chef Tom Kerridge is with us as well you're listening to me Mike Graham on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it is of course Talk Radio Mid-morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio We're going to get stuck into the cycling debate a little bit later on because quite frankly the idea that the government is going to spend two billion quid uh, on cycling is completely and utterly ridiculous. I mean, it's all very well saying that, you know, we're going to spend taxpayers' money on getting us back out of the economy, spending money, getting back into the cities, getting back to work. That's all very well. Uh, But suddenly now the world appears to have gone completely mad. Two billion pounds on cyclists. Please, we'll get into that later on. Let's start off, though, with John Rental, first of all, who is, of course, uh, Chief Political Commentator for The Independent. Uh, We're going to ask him, where do we go from here? John, a very good morning to you. Good morning um, from the hated cyclist community. Yes, I um, know. I did. Last I, time I saw I, you, Mike, in, in real life, I was on a bike. You were indeed, and 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 I was marvelling at the fact that not only were you on a bike, but you were looking very cool indeed. And the first person I've seen also on a bike, not wearing lycra, which I was pleased about. 
you mean I was wearing my suit as yeah. usual? Well, prove, <laughs> proving that you don't actually have to try and dress up like your Chris Hoy uh, from the Tour de France and actually just enjoy a particularly different mode of transport. I don't, I don't object to that kind of cycling. I object to the kind oh, of you I know. See that. I object to the, to the sort of, you know, the lycra-clad, ridiculously kind of uh, law-breaking type of cycling, which I know you don't do. Of, of course not, no. I'm, but I am looking forward to my £2 billion. Pounds yeah, well, absolutely pounds. right. Please uh, take it with my thanks uh, and do it. Do with my taxpayers' money what you will. If you'd like to get a shiny new, you know, £3,000 bicycle, you know, maybe you'd like to just come back and ask me for some more money. No, no, my, my beaten up old rusty uh, bike that I leave outside is fine for me because it's uh, it looks so tatty that nobody would ever try to steal yeah, it. Nobody so would ever try and steal it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was saying to somebody the other day, I came out of a Waitrose the other day to, to find this very expensive looking Boardman bicycle, which looked as if it was made of sort of, you know, solid aluminium. Um, and it looked like it was worth about three grand. And it was just kind of padlocked up outside a Waitrose. And I thought, and if that doesn't sum up what's wrong with Britain, I don't know what does, you know. <laughs> You've got a very strange idea of what's wrong with Britain, Mike. Well, listen, I know there's a lot wrong with Britain, which is what we're about to do. You know, I wanted to read your piece about the next 12 months because I rather like the idea. Loads of people on Friday and over the weekend talking about the last 12 months of Boris Johnson's career. You're talking about the next 12 months of Boris Johnson's career. But unfortunately, uh, it wanted me to subscribe to something which I couldn't be bothered doing. So I didn't. Re- I only managed to read the first paragraph. So tell us uh, where, where Boris is going in the next 12 months. Well, as, as I said in that uh, article that you refuse to pay to read, because uh, you have to pay for good journalism, Mike. No, you, you know. don't. No, you can listen to this radio station for free. Well, that is, that is also true. You can have a choice. You can, you can listen to some stuff for free. You can read some stuff for free. But if you want uh, other stuff, you might have to pay for it. Anyway, I accept, I accept that. And listen, I, by the way, I would endorse paying for good journalism. It's just that I didn't have time to go through the motions of subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Anyway, what I said was that it's uh, obviously mad to try and predict uh, what uh, Boris Johnson's second year is going to be like, given mm. uh, what his first year. But uh, there are some things you you know you can see coming uh, down the track that are obviously going to be big issues over the over the next twelve months. Obviously, first there's the uh, there's the deal, the trade deal with the European Union. Right. Uh, then there's the question of Scotland. Uh, and finally, there's the question of the coronavirus recession, which is, I think, going to dominate uh, politics for the rest of this parliament. Mm. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And what do you make at the moment of what is going on? Because obviously the big story this week, by the way, was going to be about people wearing masks, but has now been completely overtaken by the sort of uh, the British need for a holiday. I mean, I've never known so yeah. many people who've done nothing for three months desperate to go away on holiday. What's going on? <laughs> Well, exactly. And then desperate not to have uh, have another two weeks holiday after that when, yes. they, when they come back. But I mean, that, that, I mean, you know, joking apart, obviously, it's for a lot of people, it's very difficult uh, to take uh, 14 days off work. And, you know, a lot of employers are not as sympathetic as they uh, as they might be. Mm. So that is going to give people uh, a lot of a lot of problems. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I feel sorry for them. I think uh, I think the quarantine is probably um, a bit too severe, but mm. um, it, it is what people want. It's what the public opinion seems to say uh, the government ought to be doing, which is which is cracking down really hard on uh, on the lockdown, making sure that uh, any any spikes are dealt with quickly, uh, and that includes obviously spikes in other countries. But um, you know, but personally, I can't see why the uh, you know why the Balearics and the Canary Islands can't be excluded, but 
you know. Yeah. Um, but this is what that, seems, I mean, I think this is what also upsets people. It's, you know, I, I, I accept, I mean, the trouble is we've got two personalities in this country now, don't we? We have those who are going, that's it, I'm fed up, I'm going away on holiday, I'm going out to the shops, I'm going out to the pub, I don't really care, you know, everything's fine. And then there's the other crowd of people who are completely opposite to that, who want to be much yeah. more cautious. But I was asked the question yesterday, which was quite a valid one, why were people not being asked to quarantine if they were moving, say, from Leicester to London? Where Leicester, you could say, was a far more dangerous risk of coronavirus outbreak uh, than, than, say, Grand Canaria. Well, there was a brief time when um, people were prevented from leaving Leicester, wasn't there? I mean, I think there, there was, was. Uh, there was an attempt to lock Leicester down and keep people keep people there. Mm. Um, so there wasn't a question of, of uh, quarantining people if they, if they got out because they weren't supposed to leave the city. But, um, yeah, no, I think that's... That, that's right. I mean, I'm I'm on the relaxed uh, end of, of yeah. that spectrum. Yeah. Right. So I find all this a little bit uh, over the top. But on the other hand, you know, I do think the majority of public opinion in this country is in favour of quite draconian uh, rules to try and suppress uh, the virus. I'm not sure if that's possible, realistic um, or where it's going to lead us. But mm. uh but, but I, mean, I, I, I mean, you say that. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to believe you, but I don't see necessarily any evidence for that. And two, you know, we're not supposed to be being governed by public opinion, are we? I mean, since when did that happen? I thought we were being governed by <laughs> government uh, and Downing Street. Yeah, but governments are always respons- responsive to public opinion, even if um, they created it in the first place by frightening the life out of people. Um, well, I remember the days when the government used to actually lead public opinion um, and public opinion was led by what the government was actually doing rather than the other way yeah. around. I think it's very dangerous to be led by public opinion because it's so fickle. Well, I completely agree with you. And I think I think Boris Johnson has tried to lead public opinion with uh, with opening up the uh, the economy mm. before I think public opinion was really ready for it. And uh, I think there's been a lot of people very reluctant to go back to work. Um, but the prime minister is trying to encourage people to do that and to, um, you know, get on their bikes and into their cars. Yeah. To, yeah. But unfortunately, once he, he says that with one uh, breath and then with the second breath, he then says, but by the way, you have to wear a mask. So if you are in any way slightly bothered or worried about getting this disease, that's going to encourage you to be even more worried, isn't it? Well, yeah, you'd say that, Mike, but actually I think the evidence suggests that actually mask wearing is uh, reassuring people who are worried about really? disease. Um, I think, yeah, no, I think there's evidence that people are more likely to, uh, to I, saw, I saw a poll over the weekend, that people are more likely to go to the shops uh, now that mask wearing is compulsory. Um, I mean, obviously there are some people who are less likely to go because yeah. they don't like, uh, I mean, People who, you know, I do find this whole mask debate um, ridiculous. I mean, people who do object to putting on a mask for for five minutes. I mean, I went, yeah, I mean, I went shopping for the first time yesterday since the mask wearing was brought into force, and I put a mask on. I went into Waitrose. I left twenty minutes later and took it off. It wasn't the world's yeah. biggest imposition. It's not yeah. a big deal. I mean, I I do sympathise with people who are expected to wear a mask all day. Yeah. Uh, at I mean, that's why shopkeepers are exempt. Um, uh, in the legislation, mm. they can, uh, they don't have to wear a mask, and they're supposed to be protected behind uh, behind perspex screens yeah. and all the rest of it. Right. Um, but I, I don't, I don't regard it as a ridiculous imposition to to wear a no. mask for a few minutes while I go shopping, even if the evidence, the scientific evidence, is very balanced, and you know there isn't much advantage to doing it. I think it's 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 helpful to 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 reassure people that 
you know, society generally is trying to uh, suppress the virus as much as possible. Yes, I think that's right. But as far as the way that the government is kind of lurching, it seems, from one kind of um, fix to another, there doesn't appear to be an awful lot of joined up thinking. I mean, I was speaking to Nick Dubois <laughs> yesterday and he said to me, oh, of course, Grant Chaps would have known about this, uh, you know, this ban on, uh, you know, all this quarantine and coming back from Spain. Well, really? Because, I mean, he went there and he said, well, you can imagine if he if he didn't go uh, and then it yeah. was proved that he had some kind of insider knowledge, it would have been bad news. But, you know, Paul Scully, who's the uh, chair of the Conservative Party, is also in Spain. Um, I know this yeah. because I was thinking of inviting him to a function I'm holding uh, later on uh, in, in August. And now he's going to have to be quarantined. So he won't be able to come. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's possible that I mean, Grant Shacks might have known that there was a risk that, uh, that the quarantine would be introduced. And uh, you know, it is alleged that he decided to go ahead with his holiday anyway because he didn't think it would be fair for him to use that inside information. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, all credit to him. He's he's actually following the rules that, that apply to everyone else. I think the, I think the, the least joined up thing about uh, politics uh, at the moment is is Boris Johnson uh, urging us to uh, to to get fit and, and passing laws which are going to put uh, calories on menus and, yeah. uh, and ban uh, ban supermarket promotions at the same time as a government scheme to uh, give you 10 pounds off your you're uh, eating out. That's bonkers. And also, and also, he actually said with a straight face, you know, uh, we're not doing this as part of a sort of nanny state program. Really? Well, it sounds like it. <laughs> a nanny. Well, I mean, the, 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 the nanny state telling supermarkets that they can't do uh, three for the price of two, or whatever right. it is, um, is uh, that's about as nanny state as you can get. Right. And, uh, and also, this television advertising nonsense, right? Not one minister yeah. that I've heard talking about this can actually say what it is that you're not allowed to advertise because they don't know, right? Because Chris, it's not just that they're banning uh, junk food advertising, which is how the media is portraying it. They're basically yeah. banning anything that's got high, that's high in fat, high in sugar. You know, so when somebody says, for example, does that mean you can't advertise jam? They don't know. <laughs> Well, you can't advertise jam. Jam is high in sugar. What about jam tomorrow? Don't you remember those good old days when we used to be promised jam tomorrow? You can't advertise caviar. That's uh, that's presumably high in salt. I you suppose can't advertise... so. Um, you, I mean, there's an awful lot. I mean, it, 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 no, I agree. It's 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 madness. It's ridiculous. There's no, there's no evidence that obesity in this country has grown because people have been watching adverts for crisps before no. the uh, or the watershed. No. Uh, and, and besides, the idea of you know people watching live, children watching live television uh, betrays a sort of uh, a certain naivety. <laughs> well, exactly right. I mean, what it tells you again is that these people do not live in the real world. You know, we are still and always have been governed by people who live in this kind of rather bizarre bubble. Um, they don't really go out very much with ordinary people. They don't really meet ordinary people. They don't really know what ordinary people do. No, well, I mean that's one of the one of the problems of, of, of getting into government. Once you're in your ministerial car and in your ministerial office, you never meet a real person uh, ever again, right. and and it's get increasingly out of touch over over time. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And um, I, I discovered reading the papers this morning that uh, none of this uh, nanny state regulation about uh, diets and, and and food is going to come into effect for two years anyway. So mm. by that time. 
the, all be watered down. Uh, well, exactly. Um, I mean, all you uh, need uh, to do is look at the video that was put out yesterday. Boris Johnson out walking his dog, which doesn't seem terribly obedient for a very small dog, I must say. Um, but he's meeting <laughs> no other dogs. There are no other dogs in, 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 in the shot. There are no other people in the shot. You know, anyone who's anyone who knows anything about walking a dog is that one of the things about walking a dog is that you see a lot of other dogs and a lot of other people. And you then you meet other people people walking their dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You then you stand around in my local park talking while the dogs just sort of go around um, getting extremely bored. No. Um, I mean, I think I can say with absolute surety, not one person voted for Boris Johnson who expected him to turn into this kind of rather ridiculous panjandrum of fitness. You know, that's not what we voted him in for. Uh, well, one of my one of my colleagues um, uh, described him as the father of the nation and uh, identifying with the, the, with the, the common problem of of uh, of the average uh, British person who is uh, who's who's struggling with their weight and uh, and, and interested in, uh, in in trying to eat more healthily. And, no, uh, and but the most people who are struggling with their weight are not interested in eating more healthily. That's how they got there. They, they don't care. <laughs> They're not. Inter- they certainly don't want the government telling them what to eat. <laughs> Well, some people do actually, but really? you know, you, I mean, well, well I haven't met anyone. I haven't met one person in the world of Britain right now who is overweight, uh, who wants to be told what to eat by the government. Well, one of the extraordinary things about the coronavirus and the lockdown has been the extent to which the uh, liberty loving British people have actually eagerly accepted being told what to do. Oh, no, by it's very the, depressing. By, um, and and you know, in a in an incredibly intrusive uh, intrusive way. So I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on people not wanting to be told what to eat. I think uh, I think perhaps Boris Johnson should issue uh, issue daily uh, daily menu planners or something and uh, tell people uh, what they're having for breakfast. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd I'd be happy with sticking to stewarding the economy, doing trade deals with the European Union, uh, and making sure that people who commit crimes are actually locked up. And maybe even stopping people coming here illegally from the, the other side of the English Channel every bloody day as well. But the point is, is that, you know, I don't need to be told whether to have a hamburger. <laughs> well, I'm afraid I agree with you, Mike. So, uh, you're listen, not this, is, get, this uh, is not going well. You and I are agreeing far too much lately, John. I know. It's just shocking. Shocking. Um, so, I mean, I so, do, so yeah. let, just let, let's let's finish on a, on a on a high note. What what's happening this week with uh, with the government? As far I mean, they still it still seems to me that we are this kind of ship which is lurching from one you know crisis to another without really any idea of who's in charge of it and where it's going. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, partly because Parliament's not sitting. I mean, the House of Lords are still there. They were discussing. Uh, they spent yesterday discussing proportional representation, which was uh, oh god. Uh, Wonderful use of uh, of everyone's time. Yeah. Um, but you know, Parliament's Parliament's gone. Uh, there's a few select committees around Westminster, but apart from that, it's uh, it's dead as a dodo. Yeah. And uh, you know, presumably Boris Johnson will be going on holiday at some point. Um, although <laughs> this does raise the extremely interesting question of where he's going to go. Maybe he should go to the fat uh, farm or something, or one of those you know one of those retreats where you you know you get colonic irrigation and uh, you spend a week eating yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see him doing that. I mean, it's, I mean, you you might imagine him him doing that in order to write a funny piece about it for the Telegraph. Uh, but uh, now that he's prime minister, I think he's got uh, he's got too many <laughs> other things to things to consider. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he's got to go on holiday in Britain. I mean, it's just. Do you remember when David Cameron yes. sulkily went to Cornwall, right? Uh, and then sneaked off to uh, to somewhere. Yeah, he went somewhere on an easy jet, didn't he? I seem to remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
but Boris, so Boris Johnson's got to go on a staycation somewhere in the UK, which he'll probably do uh, with very bad grace for about three days, and yeah. then and then I can go on a secret secret holiday to the Gulf somewhere. <laughs> No doubt. Well, listen, we should keep our eyes peeled at all ports and airports and various other points uh, of destination, whatever we can. John, as ever, thank you very much indeed. John Rental, who not only represents the independent, but also represents the sensible cycling community, uh, for which there are very few people, I have to say, because later I'll be telling you what's wrong uh, with a government that wants to give £2 billion to the cycling fraternity so that they can all cycle around a bit more on more expensive bikes, having paid a load of money to Halfords. It doesn't make any sense to me. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let's talk straight away now to Howard Cox, co-founder of the Fair Fuel UK campaign. He's a man uh, who stood up for the motorists for many a year. Uh, he's also a man uh, who's uh, got a plan to try and stop the congestion charge from being expanded through the weekend to 10 o'clock at night and to £15 a day. It's an absolute horror show in London under Sadiq Khan. Howard, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. It's great to hear you. And thank you for the introduction. It's very, very nice to be on here. No, listen, um, we are uh, the sound, uh, the home of common sense, as we like to call ourselves. But it's incredible to me that not only uh, have we all been forced into this kind of single lane driving scenario in London, where literally there's nowhere to go. And so there's worse pollution now than there ever has been. But the final kind of insult for me is Boris Johnson, supposed to be a conservative prime minister, handing two billion quid of our money to these cyclists. I mean, we're in a time of fiscal catastrophe. Yeah. And he, what he's doing, he's stopping people driving into London, stopping people going to the cinema, to museums, restaurants, small businesses, the white van man. They're all going to be paying for this. And uh, my inbox is absolutely overflowing with people saying they're never going into a city again. Right. So the whole of the economy of these urban, you know, out where we where we want to go to the theatre, the cinema and eat out are now going to be destroyed. It's decimated. What is the logic in that? What worries me, there's an underlying um, political, and I have to say a lot of the media are being infiltrated by this liberal lycra elite yeah. who seem to be coming everywhere, and they're very well financed, Mike. They really are, yeah. But also, does it not tell you, Howard, how this country has become kind of separated up into these kind of Ramona cycling lycra-clad wallies in London and everybody else outside of London? Absolutely right. I mean, well, there is this divide now, and I've actually written an article which is going to National Press next week, I hope. Mm. I hope they take it. and They might want to talk about Johnny Depp and people like that more than <laughs> important. Uh, but from our point of view, the, the divide is getting wider and wider. I have called on Cycling UK. I've called on Chris Baldwin. I've called on lots of people, the cyclists, and on Twitter. Please, can we work together to get road usage fair for yeah, everyone? Right. And that's the sort of thing. I'm not anti-cycling. I do cycle, but I don't cycle. Uh, you know, I, I expect to pay for the privilege of having a free byway. Yeah. They don't. I've had death threats. I've had uh, poo through my letterbox from people wrapped really? up in cycling gloves. Yeah. That's uh, incredible. These the, yeah, that's the sort of thing. There are 37 million motorists in this country, and only 3% of journeys are on bicycles. And you can't carry a three-piece suite on a bicycle. You really can't. I mean, here's the other thing, right? I didn't used to be anti-cycling, but I am now. And the reason for that is because they are by far and away the most advantaged group of people in the entire nation because the government loves them. The government will give local authorities money to build bike lanes where bike lanes aren't necessary. I mean, a perfect example, and I'm sorry to be London-centric for those of you outside of London, but I'm sure there are other examples around the country. You know, the Park Lane... uh, 
bike yeah. lane, uh, which nobody uses. I mean, I've seen pictures, I think you may have posted them over the weekend, of, of cars sitting in a, in a lane of traffic because the second lane to the left of them is as wide as their lane they're in, but it's empty because there's no cyclists in it. Well, Elaine Page actually did a, a tweet. That's right, very, yeah. She, and she got a couple of thousand uh, retweets on that, and she made the point, you have actually a decent cycle lane actually in, in High Park itself. Yeah. Why are they not using that? And there were even cyclists actually in the in the traffic lane. They weren't using their cycle lane. Right. And this is another thing. We've just done a survey, a uh, road user survey, 25,000 responded, of which 1,900 were cyclists. Yeah. And quite rightly, we predicted that they're pro ultra low emission zones, they're pro congestion charge, and they're pro everything to do with cycle lanes being dedicated to them. But guess what? Eighty-six percent of them rely on home deliveries. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So they, that white van man has got to deliver to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know they want that. They want the best of all worlds, and they want it all for free. Yeah, they're ringing. And, you know, they're ringing Ocado every five minutes, saying, "Where's your driver? <laughs> Where is he? I need my aubergine special." You know what's going on? But this is the problem, right? And also, what about this? The, the actual program that Boris is suggesting: fifty pound vouchers to people so that they can yeah. take a bike that might need a bit of a service to Halfords. He's effectively subsidising Halfords. Well, as I say to you, where is he getting this two billion from? Yeah. Taxpayers, of course. And we're in this dire strait. I mean, I'm hearing that there might be an increase in fuel duty of significance. Yeah. And I know that the Treasury is actually looking at a double digit increase, looking at 10 pence increase in fuel duty. And guess what? The money from that is going to finance to help the cyclists. Right. Only 3% right. cycle. Let's get realistic about this. We are not Holland. We're mm. not, we can't be like Holland. We can't be like completely open where everyone can go everywhere. We are a very crowded city very crowded uh, country we need to have some common sense here mm. let's work together get fairfield uk i mean even the aa edmund king is tweeting about supporting cyclists and it's the clues in the name is the automobile association <laughs> i know and, and I, I mean it's just hard to believe but also howard outside of london uh, in in the home counties even you go into berkshire you go to sussex you go to surrey even uh, go up to say derbyshire nottinghamshire you know people are not commuting by cycle because it's too far. They live too far away from where they work. They commute because there's no public transport infrastructure to say that, uh, to, to speak of. They all drive in cars. And, of course, you made the point quite rightly. Public transport, people are very wary of that at the moment. You know, we've got to wear masks in there. The best PPE is still sitting inside a yeah. car. Well, Sadiq Khan, Sadiq Khan is telling people to avoid public transport, right? What yes. does he think is going to happen? More people are going to drive. And then, of course, then he's going to charge them another 30% to actually for the yeah, privilege. I know. Unbelievable. And, and, I mean, I don't and, want to, and, you know, and he wants me to walk to work so I can get fitter. Well, I would like him to resign so that I can get fitter. <laughs> but, you know, we don't go around ordering people about. Well, look, there's a lot of support for what you're saying, Mike, and what I'm trying to do. And we are trying to, we will know today whether we're going to go with the judiciary review. We got a response yesterday from Transport for London about congestion charge. Yeah. And we will help. We we haven't got the finance. They, I mean, whatever they do, they've got a bank of barristers and mm. solicitors sitting there. They fill in their forms. They fill in that no matter what happens, we need the people to come back and support Fairfield UK. So please come to the fairfieldukcom uh, website and please help. We need all your help because we've got to get this. We've got to get this sorted out and get some sanity into our road usage. Absolutely. And what about this electric bike business? This is the other plank of, uh, and I say plank advisedly, of Boris Johnson's policy. He wants to make people go out on electric bikes. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you're going to get much exercise, uh, you know, cycling around on an electric bike, are you? 
Well, he's actually giving a subsidy to be for people to be carried about. I'm, that's not going to actually get any exercise whatsoever. I know a friend of mine's actually got an electric bike. They're very powerful. Yeah, they, they do fifteen to twenty miles. Yeah, an no, hour. I've seen people on them. I mean, I, 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 some guy was I was walking up the street the other day, and some guy was whizzing past an electric bike. He was going really fast. Absolutely right. And and I'm. It's what's the point of that? You know, I don't see the logic. I don't see the logic of all the road transport. We're seeing this whole problem about ultra-low emission zones, right. uh, 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 congestion zones, everything about cycle lanes. Everything is about pro-cycling. Yeah. 3% cycle, 97% don't. They right. drive. Also, you know, I'm, 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 you know if, if the idea is to get cars off the road and they're going to say, give everybody a free bike... That's uh, in- interesting as a policy in itself. But, you know, we live in the Northern Hemisphere where it rains quite a lot. Now, it's one thing to say, you know, cycle to work because it's a lovely sunny day. You can arrive all hot and sweaty uh, and maybe you can then change into some clothes and stink the place out uh, while your friends who have come in in cars and public transport uh, are actually relatively hygienic. Meanwhile, what are you going to do when it rains? When it pours with rain, you're going to turn up looking like a drowned rat. Most people can't do that going to work. Well, interestingly, uh, 65% of the cyclists who responded to our survey said they're only fair weather cyclists. So the clues in that. There's no and, doubt uh, about that. I mean, what I notice a lot of, I'll tell you what, particularly during the early days of the lockdown, uh, was that the number of cyclists who were out on the streets when it was sunny was about 10 times the number that were out yeah. when, it was, when it wasn't. Well, your program's going to help incredibly with what we're trying to do. But mm. the trade is we've got to get through to Boris Johnson and his like crack spads. And yes. that's the thing we because uh, that's what's happening at the moment. There's an underlying group of people that are actually infiltrated, including the media. I'm getting less coverage in the media now for motorists. Mm. You know, they, they contribute the fifth largest income to the Treasury. They pay BBC licence fees, you know, 37 million drivers, etc. Yeah. And they are not being getting a fair platform. We want a balanced argument. Let's work together on this. Yeah, that's because we live in a world now, Howard, where unless you're a lycra-clad lunatic cycling about voting to remain in the European Union. You're basically a thick Brexiteer racist. That's what they think you yeah. are. And they don't want to give you a platform. Well, you're looking at one that you just described me. That's why. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, we now uh, have this ridiculous situation where the establishment is now left. I mean, I did a, um, a, a debate the other week um, with the um, uh, Institute for Economic Affairs, and I actually said these words, right? And this will come as, a, as no surprise to you. I didn't think... Uh, that as a middle-aged, white, heterosexual man, I'd be part of the counterculture. But that's what I am now. I'm afraid that's it. The silent majority have got to rise up. I've been told by a taxiing group we can get 15,000 taxis to blockade the whole of London. Yeah. But what, what does that mean to Manchester, Liverpool, yeah. Aberdeen? We've got to get a national campaign for this and get some sanity. Drivers aren't the, the priors in all of this. Right. We all care. We all have, need our cars. We please please come get behind the driver. Yeah, I heard an advert the other day for Honda who said that in something like, I don't know, five or ten years' time, they're only going to be making hybrid and electric cars. Well, great. Yeah. Cheerio, guys. See ya. <laughs> you, <laughs> you won't be born. I do drive a hybrid, I'm afraid. I'm guilty of Listen, that. Listen, you I can have... do, yeah, do what you like. Listen, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those intolerant people that wants you to do what I want you to do. You can do whatever you want, Howard. If you want to drive an electric car, great, go for it. But don't make me want, you know, don't try and make me do something that I don't want to do. No, I'm not driving an electric car. That's going too far, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely uh, right. It, well, listen, good right. luck. Let us know what happens with your uh, judicial review uh, uh, because we're obviously in great support of you, Howard, and, and we are uh, on the side of the motorists because, you know, we are now an oppressed minority or an oppressed majority, actually. 
Thank you very much. But fairfueluk.com, please. Sign up. No problem at all. Howard Cox from fairfueluk.com, I should say. Uh, Go and sign up to his campaign because I tell you what, you know, we are in the majority here and we are being ruled by a sort of lycra-clad collection of nobodies who think that they know better than we do. They think that they're in the right. They think that we're in the wrong just because we want to sit in a car, which is the safest environment of all, in order to travel around without fear or favour. I don't want to cycle around London. It's dangerous. People get killed on bikes every single month of every single year in this country, right? People who cycle think they're better than everybody else. Well, I've got news for you guys. You're not. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. How about this from Darren, right? Come on, Mike, educate yourself. This is the new phrase from the woke. Educate yourself. I don't need to be educated, Darren, by the likes of you. He says this. E-bikes assist the rider, not self-propel them. Ideal for the elderly and unfit people of which there are vast numbers in this country. London needs cycling, hybrid and electric vehicles to stop the pollution. Well, I tell you what, Darren, the pollution is worse in London now because of cycling, because of the fact that there are too many cycling lanes, because of the fact that half of the cycling lanes are not even used most of the time, and because of the fact that all of the road traffic is squeezed into one single lane, and it sits there pumping out pollution for you. So, Darren, why don't you educate yourself and get a life, okay? Thanks very much indeed. We'll be in touch. Let's talk to Belinda DeLucy. Hello, Belinda. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm delighted to be able to speak to you about something other than cycling because I'm getting quite wound up about it, to be honest. Um, I can tell. I know. It's just, well, it's, the trouble is, that all these people want to tell me what to be thinking, what to be doing, how to be moving around. You know, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. That's, I'm not it's having 2020 it. 2020 for you. It's 2020 for you. That's what we're doing. We're, we're lemmings being told how to, yes. how to breathe and how to walk. I know. It's the next person that tells me to educate myself <laughs> is going to get a smack in the mouth. And I, yeah. and I mean that, obviously, not literally. Really. Let's talk about, though, this story in the Times today. Why men are working harder than ever at home. I thought, now, who we, can we talk to about this? I thought, now, yeah. Linda DeLucy, uh, a woman of our times, former Brexit Party MEP, mother of four uh, female children, uh, yeah. married to a, a, a wonderful man, so you tell yeah. me. Um, yeah. now, now, can you honestly say that he's doing more housework? I have to say, Mike, I'm a very lucky girl. Um, I'm I'm lucky enough to have married a house-proud man. Right. And when you marry a house-proud man, they, they tend to, I think, mind a bit more about, you know, the state they're living in. And um, either, I think his mum trains him very well, to be honest. He really? does. He picks up after himself. He does all the cooking. I moved the barbecue from the end of the garden to the to near the kitchen. Right. And he's out every night. He throws a bit of meat on the barbecue and serves it up to his women. 
<laughs> That's <laughs> I brilliant. Quite, I quite well, like I mean, to be yeah, fair, he's, he's a very lucky guy. I mean, he's married to you for a start. He's got four presumably Aww. beautiful children uh, who all adore him. And, uh, and every father, a proper father, loves his daughters, really, doesn't he? And he I mean, really does. Yeah, and actually there was a survey out uh, recently that said men who have um, daughters of a school age um, are far less sexist and actually help around the house. Oh, I think that's more. very they true. Have, yeah, so and um, he's got four of them, and and you know what, my girls wouldn't let him put a foot wrong either. So he is he is well trained at home. As I'm well. sorry to say, uh, the mother of my two teenage boys uh, is the diametric opposite to you because we spend most of our time at the weekends trying to convince them. Here's the new schedule. This is what you're going to be doing this week. It's already broken down. It's only Tuesday. Oh no! Well, I mean, they're so have, lazy. They're just done. really, they're just really lazy. You know, we give them jobs. Well, you to do. need to get. I know you need to get the children working. My mum always said, get them before they turn five doing chores around the house <laughs> because actually, you know, I was doing my own ironing at eleven. Yes, and and doing my own washing. And I think you know, parents would have a much better time about their house mm. if their children blooming got off their backside, yeah. got off their phones, and were made to do the chores. I mean, I've got my girls. You know, they, they give me massages every Thursday. I think it's lovely. That's great. Well, you've obviously got it absolutely figured out. But, I mean, what about things like childcare? Because you've got your, your girls range in age from quite young to sort of teenage years, right? So, so yeah. does, he, does he do a bit of childcare as well? Do you know, at the beginning, when I, I had four under five um, in my late 20s, and I did find that my shift never ended, mm. whereas his, his always did when he came home from work. You know, he did have that sort of clock off time. And I do think when you've got, you know, loads of kids and, and you're a stay-at-home mum, your shift never ends. It just continues 24-7 and through the weekend. Your right. weekends, you never get to recharge. Mm. Whereas I think a lot of people who, who just have focus on their work get to recharge over the weekend. But he was good. Um, you know, he does take them out. We've got dogs, so he takes the dogs for a walk and takes the kids out. Right. Um, and so he does help a bit. But I do think it's down to his parents. You know, he's from a very... Sort of a uh, hard-working family. His mum always worked. She was a teacher. His I dad think that helps, actually. It really does. There was no... And he's very Catholic and very... Um, uh, he, you know, he believes slovenliness is a sin, almost. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely right. So, he sounds like yeah, the perfect I husband. Well, it's very depressing, all this. Oh, you know, oh, no, there must no, be no, something I, wrong I, with him. <laughs> I have a long list, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, very true. But, I mean, and so what do you... What sort of... What about the kids themselves? Do you give them chores... Uh, yes. that they have to do on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for them to realise that they're part of the running of the household. And they have... So over lockdown, I had my husband at home working. I had the four girls 24-7. The house would have been a complete state. So I, I bought a phone safe, one of these little mini safes with a little numerical code. Oh, yeah. And their, their phones would be taken away and put in the phone safe. Um, if they didn't do all, you know, they didn't do the dishwasher, they didn't yeah. wash the floor, they right. didn't make their beds every morning, their phones would go. And for all the flaws and, and you know, terrible things about having phones, the, the, one of the best things is the bait, and you can use it <laughs> to make your good. children do things. Yes, that is absolutely brilliant. Now, it says <laughs> so here as yeah. well that basically um, 40 years ago, um, men were spending a lot less time uh, doing domestic work, which I suppose is, is par for the course. Um, yeah. but, I mean, I can't imagine that there are many sort of sexist men left, are there, who just don't I, do anything? Yeah, I don't think there is. It's, it, you know, it's about love and respect. If your husband loves and respects you, he won't sit there while you clear up after him. Yeah. You know, I don't know who would do that. But I do think there's, you know, my heart goes out, especially to um, obviously single mums who are having to do absolutely everything. And most children from single households live with their mother and they see the mum doing absolutely everything. Mm. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, on Mother's Day, I always think of them because I think they, they literally, they don't have that sort of support to fall back on, on um, chores and yes. getting the kids to do stuff. Right. But I do think it's important you put those little rugrats to work literally as soon as they can walk. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant idea. And what about the lockdown for you guys? Does, does your husband normally work from home anyway or does he does no. he go to an office? Uh, I know, we, we had to completely, like it was a new relationship. He was um, often had very long hours and then he was suddenly at home 24-7 with right. four young women. That's quite hard, really, isn't it? Really hard, you know, with all the clothes and things lying about. And he'd often sort of bang on the wall of his, where he was having his work calls <laughs> to, to quiet enough, um, you know, right. women up. We were just, you know, obviously there's Shrieking. a lot of drama in the house. But yeah. yes. <laughs> who's stolen, who's top, and, right. you know, who's nicked someone else's phone and all that sort of stuff. So it was a balancing act and the dynamics completely changed. But, you know, he, ha- he had to help out. So, and he did do the supper every night. And uh, on barbecue, you know, you just flicked a bit of meat and put it on the table. But mm. it was, that's how it worked. And yeah. I think that's, the, you know, marriage can be hard enough if you don't pull your weight and there's an imbalance of power. You know, resentment can build and, and you know, all sorts of problems. Can oh, yeah. I mean, I know a couple so, of people whose relationships have completely busted during uh, during the lockdown because they realised, actually, they didn't like each other very much. They've broken no, up. I know, all awful. I mean, my parents gave me the best advice before I got married because yeah. um, my parents have been married for forty six years. Wow! And my dad said the best thing to keep you know the house happy is if you're a stay at home mum and your husband comes home from work, don't open the door to him with a nag list. Right. You know, to keep let him just you know have a beer and unwind, and you'd get a much more you know uh, amenable yes. uh, response to to the light bulbs going or this needing doing or that needing doing. That was a cracking piece of advice. Yes. And my mum. My mum's advice was never iron the first shirt well. Always iron badly. <laughs> Your husband always has to do it, you know, yeah. and separate bathrooms. That yeah, I mean, I'm a bit like that with putting together IKEA furniture. I just don't do it anymore because I did it so badly um, uh, that it's, it's just not worth asking me to do it. It's better off exactly. to just do it yourself, you know. Exactly. Do it. Everyone Listen, has I'm to do quite happy making. I'm quite happy making the dinner. Uh, you can put the bunk yeah. beds together, you know. Yeah, but it has to be that. Never do anything too well that you make a rod for your own back. Exactly right. 100%. Very good advice. Belinda, superb. Thank you very much indeed. Belinda DeLucy, former Brexit Party MEP there, giving you great advice for those of you who are embarking on marriage uh, and embarking on having children. Get the kids to work as soon as you possibly can uh, because that's the way you want them to be for the rest of time. If you let them get away with murder, they will take you to the cleaners, I promise you. And never iron the shirts too well as well, says Belinda. Otherwise, you'll be ironing shirts for the rest of time. I think that's very, very good advice. It's a free advice you're getting here uh, on this show. Absolutely brilliant stuff. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We don't shy away from the real issues, one of which, of course, uh, is Jeremy Corbyn, one of which, of course, is the anti-Semitism that has been going on, particularly on Twitter, uh, thanks to one particular individual whose name I'm not even going to mention because it's not actually worthwhile mentioning him uh, in the course of giving him any publicity, but you all know who I mean. We're going to talk now, though, uh, to Adam from the Jewish Telegraph because uh, it's been reported that some former party staff in the Labour Party could drop their lawsuits against Labour if Jeremy Corbyn is expelled from the membership. Now, one of the interesting things about this is that because they've all decided to sue um, the uh, Labour Party and the Labour Party has agreed to pay them all bucket loads of money, apparently the Labour Party is facing bankruptcy as a result. Now, will they throw Jeremy Corbyn under the bus in order to stop that from happening? Let's ask Adam. Adam, very good morning to you. 
Hi. Hi, but, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks for talking to us. Um, Jeremy Corbyn was, of course, at front and centre uh, of all of the anti-Semitism problems that the Labour Party had. Keir Starr was trying to, to rid the party of all of that. It might cost him very dear. Um, but what do you make of this uh, this story, this possible story, that Corbyn might be chucked out? So, first of all, I'm not sure where the story about the people dropping their lawsuit has come from, because it's not true. Um, I've spoken to the man representing most of them um, this morning. His Catholic oratory said it's not true. Mm. Not well, it's ac- well, I'll tell you where it's coming from. It's coming out of Momentum's offices. That doesn't surprise me. No. Um, but no, it, it, it's 100% not true as far as I'm concerned, and as far as those involved are concerned. Um, there were rumours last week that, depending on what's in the EHRC report, that they would um, remove COVID from the party. Um, it's still a very, very big possibility. But in terms of people dropping their lawsuits, as far as I'm concerned, it's not true. OK. And as far as the Labour Party itself is concerned, are you convinced, for example, that Keir Starmer uh, and his plan to get rid of all of these horrible, ghastly, poisonous people is actually working? He has made good moves to start with, but it's just a start. Um, Having spoken to him, he's definitely committed to sorting the issue out. But Mm. again, it's, you know, it's kind of all been a bit overshadowed with, you know, a global pandemic, which is fair enough. Um, So... He has he has started making the right moves, but you know we'll see where he's at in six months' time. If the same people that are causing problems are still involved, and if the same people who failed to make those decisions, you know, the right decisions a year ago, mm. are still in charge of making those decisions now. Right, and what seems to me to be the problem for Labour as well is it's not only obviously in the party membership. Uh, which there's a problem in, but it's also in... There's a lot of councillors up, up and down the country who occasionally sort of float to the surface, if you like, because of something they've said, uh, or something anti-Semitic they've written, some a social media post. I mean, there does seem to still be an endemic anti-Semitic strain going through the left. Yeah, and just, just before people jump on that and say, oh, but all parties have problems, yeah, you're right. There are other people in other parties. But when those things surface, they are removed from the party within mm. a matter of hours. Right. Um, there does seem to be a problem with a lot of, not a lot of councillors, but a lot of hard left councillors. There are often Facebook and Twitter posts that surfaced from 10 years ago. This mm. problem, the whole thing with Jeremy Corbyn is trying to light on it, but it's been going on for a lot longer than that. Yeah. Um, and it, it's their obsession with Israel and with Jewish people. Um don't know why, but, you know... It, That's the it, question it, nobody well, seems to be able to answer, you know, because they obviously talk about it amongst themselves an awful lot. They obviously kind of count it as some kind of badge of honour to have said something anti-Semitic, because otherwise, why do it? Yeah, you're right. And it, it's to do with the fear that, like the person that you said won't be named, that we are all-powerful and almighty. Yeah. Well, I wish we were, because then we could stop all this, you know, but yeah. we're not. Um, it's an it's a deep rooted obsession and hatred of Jewish people that yeah. seems they seem to be proud of it. 
It seems bizarre, but particularly when it comes from people like the guy who we won't name, um, who sort of spends his time preaching about, you know, loving everybody and everybody being good and equal and right and Black Lives Matter and all of that. And yet, some of the most poisonous and ghastly vitriol uh, he, he spouts on, on social media. He's now being investigated by the police. He's been suspended from Twitter for two, uh, I think, seven days. The, uh, yeah. the, the, there's, a, there's a current sort of 48-hour um, uh, blockage on Twitter going on from people who are in support of, uh, of, of those who are against him. Um, I just find it very odd. I, can't, I, I literally cannot understand why anyone would feel that way. It's an, it's an education problem, and it's also there seems to be some kind of war of our oppression is greater than your oppression, which we've never said that, right. you know. Um, don't really know where it comes from. Yeah. It, though I was listening to someone on a rival station that I mentioned yesterday who said, can these people be educated? Mm. I really don't think someone with his views can be educated. Because, no. for example, if you go onto his Facebook page as of five minutes ago, he's still making these points and he's still ranting about it. So he's not willing to change and willing to learn. Right. Um, so I don't really yeah, know because he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't think he's wrong. Uh, he thinks he's in, in, he's entirely within his rights to say what he wants to say. Um, there are those in the free speech community who, um, I'm afraid, I suppose they have to back him on the basis that they have to back anybody who says anything, uh, which is a little bit of a problem for me. Um, I just I just find it all very sad, really. You say that people have to, you know, in the free speech community, think they can back it. But how do you back someone who makes a statement that essentially says you have to shoot Jewish people? Yeah. I know. Listen, I I can't uh, equate uh, myself with any any of that. Um, mm. We're talking obviously about Toby Young and his his free speech union. Yeah. Um, I mean, he kind of is, is 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 has set himself up as 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 the free speech king. So I suppose he has to support anybody who says anything. But that's problematic, clearly. Yeah, I know. And you, you have people that say this is all about stifling speech of Israel. But other than I think one tweet, he hasn't mentioned Israel at no. all. Right. It's not about Israel. You can go and slag the Israeli government off all you want. I do. I don't really care what right. people say about the Israeli government. No. But when you're, when you're actively coming out on Twitter and saying, you know, shoot Jewish people, first of all, why is his account still up? Right. And why are, why are most of his tweets still up? Yeah. Um, it's not about free speech. It's about a pure, deep-rooted hatred for Jewish people. And yeah. that's why a load of grassroots people got together to say enough is enough. Mm. Yeah. And why did Twitter take such a long time to deal with it as well? That's a very good question that we're trying to get to the bottom of. There's no simple answer to that. But why why they only gave him a 12-hour suspension to start with and then to say, oh, well, we'll give him a week suspension is beyond me. He's literally calling for death to Jewish people. Yeah. I mean, do do you think, Adam, that some of this has been caused by um, Jeremy Corbyn making anti-Semitism kind of relatively mainstream? Because I think that's what he did. I'm loath to connect into everything, but it did make it socially acceptable. It, it's hard to say he didn't. It really is. But listen, uh, well, hopefully the poison that is anti-Semitism uh, will somehow be uh, taken out of our society, but um, it needs to be taken out of our society by everyone. Adam, thanks very much indeed. Adam Kohler from the Jewish Telegraph there uh, talking us through the Jeremy Corbyn situation. He doesn't think uh, that the people who are suing the Labour Party and who have been promised money are in fact going to withdraw any of that. Uh, so therefore, Jeremy Corbyn presumably will continue to remain um, a, a prominent backbencher in the Labour Party, former leader, a man who uh, is a friend of the terrorist, a man uh, who has frequently refused to condemn 
anti-Semitic behaviour and anti-Semitic words that have been written by people in the Labour Party. It's an absolute shocking state of affairs. Uh, and the guy who will not be named, because I won't name him, uh, the, the grime artist, as he is known, uh, is an absolute disgrace as well. The idea that he can just go around saying the things that he says on a public platform which will shut down other people far quicker who say things which are far less offensive and far less ghastly is absolutely ridiculous, it seems to me. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.